Welcome to Trending in Education. Mike Palmer here. I'm joined today by Ruben Agbana, who is the co-founder and executive director of the Marcy Lab School in Brooklyn. Turns out it's very nearly a stone's throw away from where I live, which is a happy accident, but I'm very pleased to have Ruben on the show. Ruben, welcome to Trending in Education. Michael, thank you for having me. There's really interesting stories to tell about the Marcy Lab School, but before we do that, can we begin with your origin story as a learning professional? I tend to start my story with the story of my parents. My mom is from Shreveport, Louisiana, and my dad is from Nigeria, from a city called Aweri. And both of their stories have come together and created the conditions for me to pursue the career path that I have had today. My dad grew up in Nigeria during a really tumultuous time, in the time of civil war. And he came of age during a time when his country didn't have a ton of stability and there weren't many pathways toward economic prosperity and the life that he wanted to live. Mm -hmm. And like many immigrants, he came to America seeking the opportunity to study here, get an education, and hopefully return back to his home country. He made his way to a small historically black college in Louisiana, Grambling State University, through a program that took promising young professionals in Nigeria paired them with HBCUs and helped them transition to America. Again, his plan was to return back to Nigeria, but he met my mother, who from Shreveport, Louisiana, found her way to Grambling State University on a basketball scholarship. She was a point guard. Uh, mm. She grew up with a ton of brothers, always playing basketball. Both of them were the first in their families to go to college and ultimately graduate from college. Both of them uh, obtained master's degrees as well. And I grew up in a house where the conversation about what happened after high school began as early as I can remember. I grew up going to family reunions and parties with my cousins and recognizing that in many ways, I lived a completely different life from them, even though we shared the same DNA because of the fortune mm. uh, that I inherited based on my parents' hard work. And mm. so um, education has been a theme in my house and uh, trying to do what I know is impossible, which is pay back my parents um, instead of looking to figure out how I can pay it forward. And that involved teaching. And I know you, you had a stint in there with Teach for America. Those experiences, plus playing with your head up and trying to understand some of the problems that are out there in the world of education led you to found the Marcy Lab School. Can you catch us up on that part of your story? Yeah, I was an econ and finance major in undergrad. I did a couple summers in finance before deciding corporate finance were, while lucrative, wasn't exactly what I saw for myself in the future. I found my way into the classroom through Teach for America. Mm -hmm. The point in time where Teach for America was really good at finding seniors who were at a quarter-life crisis moment. And they placed me at an incredible high school, Tri-Cities High School in Atlanta, a performing arts school. And I thought that I was going to do two years fulfill my commitment and find my way back to finance or econ in some way, shape, or form, but I just loved it. Fell in love with teaching in my very first year and have been in the classroom ever since. Hmm. I stayed at Teach for America in Atlanta. I then moved to New York where I began getting involved in the charter school sector as a teacher and as a dean of students. And that was kind of my first introduction to kind of the college for all philosophy that is really popular amongst some of the highest performing public schools here in New York. It was also there where I came to confront the realities of the college for all promise when not all colleges are prepared to support students to graduate and succeed in the career of their choice. It's my time in charter schools. It was my time as a coach working for Teach for America later on where I saw what happens when young people end up getting into colleges that they can't afford or getting into colleges that don't have the resources to support them. And I saw year after year 
really smart, talented, hardworking young people who got into college but were indebted or got into college but left before they got a chance to obtain their degree mm-hmm. or obtain their degree, fruit debt, and were unable to find a really good job. And so that was the motivation behind myself and my incredible co-founder, her name is Maya Bhattacharji, deciding to pilot, design, and launch the Marcy Lab School to be an aspirational alternative college for really promising young people who won't benefit from what the best of higher education has to offer in this country. Yeah, absolutely. And we want to get into some of the more details about the school because it is different. Even when I was first doing research, I thought it was a charter school. I didn't realize it was an alternative to college. Can you explain what it is and, and what really went into its founding? Yeah, we're trying to build an aspirational alternative to college. It's a one-year model, a post-secondary school. Students find their way to Marcy, typically directly out of high school or maybe a year or two of them from high school. Some of our students have some college experience but have left before they've obtained the degree. Uh, some have no post-secondary experience but have been working for a year or two and are now looking for the next opportunity to accelerate their career. Mm-hmm. We focus on career pathways that provide students with direct access to high-paying jobs. Our first career pathway is in tech, in particular software engineering. It's a one-year computer science curriculum designed to match a theory with applied kind of software engineering principles that they'll see in the field. But again, because we're trying to build an alternative to college, we pair that technical curriculum with a well-rounded civic studies curriculum that features components of leadership development, race and identity, civic technology, how do we use tech for good, financial literacy, professional fluency. And so over the course of a year, our students are engaged in about 2,000 hours of coursework. And our responsibility at the end of that program is to partner with companies in New York City to provide them with interview and ultimately hiring pathways into jobs that typically will require a four-year college degree. Our students are working at companies like Spotify and Squarespace and the New York Times and J.P. Morgan and many startups that you may have heard of or have not heard of. Oftentimes, those startups are in the civic tech space as well. Companies like Democracy Works or the Trevor Project, for example. Mm-hmm. And we're proud to say that our students, on average, are earning about $106,000 after their first job at the Marcy Lab School. So that's impressive. And that's a quick turnaround and similar to boot camps, but it's also different in some ways. I'd love to hear you tease out what's different about it and how to distinguish your approach versus many of the boot camps that are out there. Yeah, we were inspired by and informed by a number of different alternative post-secondary pathways, coding boot camps being one of them. But there are a number of incredible nonprofit workforce development programs that we sought inspiration from as well. I would say there are a few kind of core differences between the Marcy Lab School and the traditional boot camps, such as the Flatiron School where I used to work, or General Assembly, or many others. One is the population that we're serving. Not only are we focusing on students who are coming from traditionally marginalized backgrounds, but we're focusing on a young adult, 18 to 24 is our age range that we target. So these are students who are looking for their first professional experience. Those schools that I mentioned before, the traditional coding boot camps are designed for an early to mid-career professional that's looking for a quick upskilling and a technical in-demand skill, and then looking to transition into a job where they likely already have a network. We are the seminal post-secondary experience that a student is looking for in place of college. And so in addition to the target population, we have a length of time of our program that's typically three to four times as long as most coding boot camps because One, we're factoring in the amount of time that our young people need to develop both technically, professionally, and personally. And two, all of the coursework that a young person is looking for if they're looking for a college experience. Those course 
experiences that allow you to discuss big ideas and read, you know, thought-provoking text and get into debate with your professors and your peers. All of those things come together to create what we think is, you know, the best of most college experiences on an accelerated timeline. Yeah, makes sense. And is the outcome very much focused on job placement or is there a credential? Are there other elements to the pathway that are worth noting? Yeah, we're focused on job placement as our seminal outcome. We confer a Marcy Lab School certificate of completion that has more or less weight depending on the employer that is looking at it, depending on the relationship that we've been able to form. But the radical take that we hold is that your first job, that first slide on your resume will be the launching point for your career. So we want to prove that it's possible for a career outcomes focused model to also provide long-term longevity and optionality in, in one's career. Mm -hmm. And then the curriculum and the experience in the year that you have a student is very experiential, connected to real work problems. There's almost an internship apprentice model baked in there. Can you talk about the nature of the work and how it's integrated with the career pathways that they're targeting on the other side? Yeah, it's a really important and fun challenge to figure out how do we learn from the best of higher education, but also learn from the mistakes that mm -hmm. the, the sector has made. And mm -hmm. also the same with the workforce development sector. So on one hand, our curriculum is much more applied. It's much more practical and relevant. And so on an ongoing basis, we're in conversation with our employer partners, asking the question, what are you looking to see from your early career talent? What's missing from your existing pipeline? Mm -hmm. And at the same time, we're thinking about what are those skills that are a bit more intangible, those foundations that may not be flashy, they may not be listed on a job description, but we believe give our students the ability to continue learning and growing in their career. You have to strike this balance between being a school that's producing talent, that's ready to add value on day one, while also not being a job trade placement program for Amazon or a small number of tech companies. Mm -hmm. At the same time, although it can be less directly connected to the tangible skills that add value on the job, we have to think about what are the non-technical learning experiences that allow a young person to build communication, teamwork, and collaboration skills that are you know, valuable at their companies, but also to develop the type of confidence, you know, wisdom that a young person is looking for as they navigate the world for the first time mm -hmm. and ultimately create the conditions in our building for a community to come about and for students to build really long lasting friendships that form the foundation of their future professional network. And you've been doing this through a pretty tumultuous period in our global history and then in really the history of the city going from the pandemic and some of the social movements that have been prominent in the last few years, what's it been like navigating that? And then from there, more the technical disruption perhaps could be the next thing we jump into. But, you know, founding this school and managing not just the educational side, but also the human challenges that we're all facing. Any experiences to share there? Yeah, certainly. We founded the program at the end of 2019. So we just got off the ground and started to gain our confidence and footing as the pandemic came about. And like everyone else, we had to figure out what it looked like to operate our model under, you know, very unique set of constraints. And we learned a lot. We added a component that has stuck with us to this day, hybrid programming, virtual and remote learning continues to be a component of our school model, although we still require students to be on campus as a part of a kind of campus-based in-person program. Mm 
Yeah. We also learned how to leverage digital communication tools and documentation and allow students to learn a bit more asynchronously and independently, given all the additional family responsibilities they were holding at that time. And that also has served us well today. We navigated a tech hiring downturn through the pandemic and figured out how to make sure our students were marketable and job ready during that time and maintain really strong employment outcomes in the face of that. And we came out of the pandemic. We moved into a new campus. We were founded with uh, a pilot cohort of nine students. And now we're serving 100 students and 100 alumni this year. And so we moved from a one-room co-working space in Bedstein to 17,000 square foot campus slightly after the pandemic. And we're ready to kind of continue on our path. And we then walked into a tech hiring upheaval. And having grown on the backs and the growth of a growing number of startup hiring partners and hiring partners that were feeling the heat of the changing funding ecosystem and hiring downturn, we again had to pivot our program. Right now, jobs are twice as hard to come by. It's taking three times as many interviews for our students to land their first offer. And one of the things that we're, one of the questions that we're asking, one of the industries that are more resilient to these short-term hiring shops. Yeah. And how do we prepare our students for tech jobs that aren't necessarily in the tech sector? And our team has been really creative in partnering with corporations that are in the financial services sector, for example, to provide custom onboarding pathways that are providing them with really cool hiring opportunities and ensuring that they can excel in in a new technical sector that's emerging. And uh, yeah, I think just like the pandemic, navigating this particular moment is going to make us stronger and better and more resilient in the long run. The name of the school is the Marcy Lab School, marcylabschool.org. It's a nonprofit, so if folks want to get involved and support the nonprofit, there's ways that you can do that. But also the model, I think, is interesting. And in some ways, you're provoking some questions around you know, what the traditional college pathway leaves out and who it leaves out and ways in which it perhaps could be improved if you were to look a little broader, you seem like a, a vision guy. Like if we're trying to understand a vision for how our post-secondary education evolves in the U.S., any thoughts jump to mind? Anything you've learned from your experiences so far? Yeah. When I think about long-term vision, what I hope to be true, a baby girl named Anjali, she's two and a half years old. And when I think about what I hope to be true by the time she graduates from high school, is that young people across the economic spectrum have an array of options, high quality options for post-secondary learning. We say that now, and, and, it, and it's a bit aspirational. You know, there are options, but of course, there's one primary option that all the quote-unquote successful students are pursuing. I can envision a world where we truly do provide students with a multiplicity of pathways to not just the career that they want, but like the type of development, professional community building that they are looking for as well. And I don't think that that happens through one kind of player to rule them all. I hope that the Marcy Lab School continues to grow and inspires a continually growing ecosystem, thoughtfully designed post-secondary programs that are not trying to be everything to everybody, but do a few things well so that students can find the pathway that best suits their needs and their interests. And what about the connection into high school, where it does seem like a lot of programs is probably part of your experience, both at Teach for America and then in charter schools is about building some of the awareness of pathways, awareness of tracks earlier into educational journeys. You're picking up on the other side of that at the Marcy Lab School, but I'm sure you're thinking a lot about building that connectivity. Can you talk a little more about that? 
Yeah, it's a really important part of what we do to be able to tell the story of our model, of similar models, of this growing trend in hiring, skills-based hiring. It's a bit of a buzzword in our space, and we want to be able to inform not just students, but their families about what we believe the future of our country, the economy will look like, and the pathways that will be there for their students when they graduate from a school like the Marcy Lab School or the others that merge. Mm-hmm. What's difficult is that we are telling the story and we, the kind of collectively, the space of kind of alternative post-secondary providers, we're telling the story of options, but in some ways it's aspirational. There aren't that many high quality college alternative options out there for students. What I mean by that is our workforce development sector has been in existence for a very long time. And there are a number of incredible nonprofits that have been doing great work, lifting students out of economic insecurity and on the pathway to careers. But traditionally the workforce development sector has cohered around the types of jobs that are upwardly mobile, but don't necessarily pay the types of wages that are considered attainable or aspirational for college graduates. I think the thing that makes us unique, Mike, is what we're saying is that there's a pathway to college level jobs for these young people without college level debt. Mm -hmm. And so what I hope to see is like an emerging sector of folks doing what we're doing in different localities, but also serving different career pathways. We started with software engineering for a very particular reason. One, we knew the wages that our students would get from those first jobs would like open people's eyes to what we think the future is. But, you know, one of our second graduating class students got his first pension, and this is a year and a half into his first job. And his all-in compensation was $275,000, salary plus another $130,000 in in stock equity and a bit of a cash bonus. Yeah. Like that is immediately the foundation to like, build wealth for yourself. Mm-hmm. He's going to be a homeowner in a city like New York soon. And we knew that starting with careers like software engineering would open people's eyes to what we hope would be possible for more students. Yeah. At the same time, we wanted to start with software engineering because the barrier to entry will allow us to open up a much broader conversation with our employer partners. We need to be able to go back to JP Morgan and say, hey, you hired Stephanie to work on the platform that your asset managers are using to build money. She's writing code on some of your most mission critical software. Surely you can hire a Marcy Lab School graduate to join your marketing department or your commercial bank. And if we can open up the doors to more career pathways that we believe are aspirational and attainable based on like skills and demonstrable skills, then hopefully like the world of possibilities can open up alternative post-secondary programs. Yeah. Towards skills, away from degrees. The other thing we talk about a lot on this show, which you've been touching on a bit, is the future of work. And coming right out of the pandemic, we have another major transformation that's happening in technology around artificial intelligence and generative AI. It is, in fact, you know, hitting the software development space in interesting ways. A lot of places where we thought you know, humans would have an edge for a while, suddenly you're seeing that the human kind of needs to be fluent in using the new technology. That's going to lead to a lot of job disruption. I imagine it's going to create a lot of new needs that your model should be faster and more responsive to stand up programs that are actually leveraging what's new and emerging. Another knock on higher ed is that sometimes it's slow to pivot, slow to adopt some of this stuff. Any thoughts on the transformative times we're living in, in terms of artificial intelligence and some of the new tools that are coming online? Yeah. I mean, of course, no one knows exactly how these things are going to develop. There are a ton of opinions on the spectrum from, you know, we might as well pack it all in the AI. They're going to take all of our jobs. You know, on the other end of the spectrum, it's like, this is all flashy and cool, but it won't change anything. Yeah. I think most people, like in all things, you know, sit somewhere in the middle. I'll tell you, we're excited. 
there are a couple of ways that it's already influencing how we're shaping our program. We do tend to believe that the ability of our students to leverage this technology will be a huge value add in the near term. So on one hand, like how do we leverage these tools to be more efficient at the work that we're currently doing? Both here, like internally, the people who are working at the Marcy Lab School, developing tools and building curriculum, they're currently using these tools to be more efficient. How do we teach our students to do the same thing? That it's nothing to be afraid of, but it can be your friend, it can be your, you know, quote unquote, co-pilot. The second thing is you think about how, how does it change what will be valued in the space? One example is the ability to quickly spin up code is likely going to be devalued. The ability to like make sense of code and like identify trade-offs within code is probably going to be a bit more valuable and like the code itself is a bit more superfluous. And so this transition that we're making in our curriculum to valuing the ability to write versus valuing the ability to read and make sense, like small changes, like 100% hmm. of our prompts used to be write a program that does this. Now, every assignment includes, this is a program that has been written and there's a problem here. Can you help us identify it? Mm -hmm. And then lastly, how do we allow our students to have a lot of fun and like get an idea of what's possible with the advancements that are taking place? Like it's crazy to live in a world that someone who has been programming for four months can now make sense and use a tool that, you know, leverages computer vision or that can like analyze like large sets of data without having to, you know, be a master of the underlying data and statistics that like makes that program run. Right. And so the projects that are coming out of our program should be cooler, like the creativity should be increased. And yeah, I think it's something that we're really excited about in the long run. The other area I wanted to talk to you about is the ability to make things. One of the things that people talk about in terms of our educational system, at least one of the knocks on the current educational system, is that it's about knowledge and perhaps expertise. But at the end of the day, you're not necessarily really able to make things and you're not necessarily able to make things collaboratively and work through ill-defined problems. I imagine that's baked into how you roll, but I'd love to hear a little more from you on that sort of foundational philosophy of getting your hands dirty, rolling up your sleeves and doing real work. Yeah, it's a really fun and radical part about what we do. And there are a few things that like underpin that we build on top of before we get to the point of like releasing the two projects. One of the things that makes our model special is our attention to high quality instruction. The Marcy Lab School was founded by two teachers. Maya was also a teacher herself. Most of our leadership team are former educators. And we hold this belief that, you know, when our students, the exact same students that were in our building, when they were 18, 17, and 16, we all worked in systems that believed that the quality of the education strongly correlated to the quality of their life outcomes. And then you turn 19 and 20 and it's like, well, we, we release you to the world. You will be in a 300 person lecture hall and you will listen to someone read from a legal pad. And it's on you to determine what you get from that. And we think there's a lot of value to be gained. There's a lot of upside in paying attention to the quality of instruction at the post-secondary level. Mm -hmm. So I'm sitting next to a room where, you know, three of our most senior leaders are analyzing data and thinking about like how questioning in the classroom will shift as a result of that data. And so I think I'll say that like we have an opinion about what it means to help the student elevate to the level of mastery, the foundational concepts that then allows them to be empowered to build really cool things. Mm -hmm. And then on top of that, Michael, like the, the technical component is like one really critical, important part about what we do, but we do everything we can to integrate 
some of the civic liberal studies coursework that's taking place at Marcy. Our students right now are in a unit where the kind of foundational text of that unit is Michelle Alexander's The New Jim Crow. And they're studying systemic oppression through the lens of mass incarceration and the criminal justice system. And the lesson there is one that that book is now one of my personal favorite books, but essentially tells a story like kind of that political history from Jim Crow to mass incarceration and like the and pinpoint the individual policies that have led to the way that certain cities and communities have been shaped and how they have been impacted by the system. But the empowering message there is that like the world as it exists today, what we know to be true in pop culture and our day-to-day lived experiences didn't just come about. Like there are certain set of leaders and policies that made it that way. And so a different set of leaders and policies can undo that wrong. And guess what? You will be those leaders. Yeah. So when you combine that with the ability to like build actual software that can influence people's lives and you like point both of those, you know, mindsets in the same direction, like the students go out and build incredibly like motivating and inspiring projects that like help their communities and leverage tools to like help people find their voting places and help people identify birthing professionals. One of my favorite Marcy projects in recent memory was a student who used, you know, Google Maps API and publicly available data to create a gentrification map in Brooklyn based on the number of new coffee shops that were popping up. It's a really, really cool thing. Yeah. Well, and I also imagine that helps with belonging and, you know, really connecting what you're doing in school to what you're going to be doing in your life and in your community, which is something that the students you're serving are probably looking for as well. Like, there's there's a belonging problem in higher ed in addition to everything else that we were describing. And it does sound like you've been very thoughtful in designing ways around that. Absolutely. Check out marcylabsschool.org. Ruben Agbana is my guest today. Ruben, as we wrap up, folks got a lot of information about the Marcy School. They can check it out. Any takeaways for folks as they head back to the rest of their lives? This version of the future where where you went to college being the key determinant of the quality of life that you live and even your you know level of social capital that is not necessarily the future that has to exist in fact we will be in a much better more equitable society if that weren't the case and it's very much so possible if we're able to interrogate what we believe success looks like and where those beliefs came from impressive stuff it's amazing to see someone who's able to put a vision into action and i could see this thing really being a model that folks can pick up on really across the country, across the world, because of the skill disruption we're talking about. There's going to be plenty of need for folks to be trained up and ready and then fully equipped in the way that you're equipping them. Ruben, thanks so much for joining me on today's show. Thank you for having me, Mike. And for our listeners, hopefully you liked what you heard. If you did, please share it, subscribe, tell your friends, do all the good things. We'll be back again soon. This is Trending in Education.